Welcome back to the 123rd episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including two talking about Joe Biden and his uh, special counsel report that came out, and then the whole bunch of conversation that happened after the press conference, as well as a final article talking about a conservative legal group coming for groups that have uh, policies that may not be really equity or equality focused. And it's a really interesting one. I may have a different take than some people would actually think. And then, of course, we'll have the Daily Delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling for me. Let's jump in to our daily debate. Does having Joe Biden as your president, inspire confidence in you. Uh, We've danced around this topic before, we've had conversations about it, but I feel like at this rate, with everything that we see in the news, you really just got to come down on this one. I want to know people's opinions. When you look at him, you're like, yes, that is my president, 100%. You're like, no, he is my president, I don't want him to be my president. Where do you stand on all this? Because the last week has not necessarily been kind to President Joe Biden, And I'm probably not going to be too kind to him in these first two articles either. Um, Just forewarning, both of them do come from Fox News. So, of course, they have their angles. And there are some things that I don't 100% agree with. But I did watch the press conference myself before I watched any other or listened to any other commentary about it. And even I was shocked before everybody threw in their 10 cents, their two cents, giving their critical analysis, so on and so forth. So, yeah, I think that anybody who looks at it objectively can at least see where the problems are. So, like I said, articles coming from Fox News. The first headline reads, uh, Biden blew my mind by contradicting facts in special counsel report, says CNN legal analyst. So when everything was going on, when the press conference first happened, there were people trying to spin it saying, okay, hey, He came out, he did what he was supposed to do, he was trying to uh, neglect, or not neglect, deflect from the report, which is a politically savvy move. Something came out, he tried to find the positives in it, he tried to set the narrative in his own way, which is his prerogative if you're a political actor, that's the way that you want to go about it. But you have to do it in a competent way. You have to do it in a way where you do not get more questions asked of you. And for a little bit, Joe Biden was on the right track when it comes to really casting the message as he wished it would be. But that doesn't mean that all the facts line up with him. But hey, in, in politics, whether or not you think that they should be the most truthful game in the world, we know it's not. And when someone like Joe Biden, who's been a political actor for a long time, puts his mind towards making the narrative exactly what he wants, it should be done well. And it was not, even if the facts are not on his side. And then he stumbles through, makes a few gaffes. And then the the hardest part for me to watch, there were two really, really hard parts. Where one is when he was trying to be morally outraged at uh, the special counsel bringing up the death of his son. And you can, you can see in the moment that he actually shifts. He's going through, he's reading at kind of a normal Joe Biden speed. You can tell he's going off the teleprompter. And then there's just a subtle shift. Like he reads a cue on the back part or on the teleprompter that says, all right, face of moral indignation now. 
And then you hear the tone shift into, ah, I'm angry. Why would you say this? And the reason that was hard for me when watching it is because you can see the mental process inside his brain of, okay, hey, I'm trying to get sympathy here. I'm trying to have a little bit of moral indignation at the comments from the special counsel. I need to have just a tint of anger. And the really clever political actors, they they frame things in a way where it doesn't seem like they're forcing it. It doesn't seem as though they are trying to get to their point. They're trying to actually manipulate the speech that they're giving to get to a certain point and have a certain reaction to it. And you can see, like I said, watch his face. There's this very subtle shift where it goes from happy to, or I say happy, kind of existing is probably the nicest way I can put it, to, okay, get angry. And it looks like he puts mental effort into it rather than just continuing to read and then getting frustrated from the comments and building up from there. It does not feel natural. And then the other part was when he said that Sisi, the president of Egypt currently, and let's be clear, if you had asked me that question before the Gaza-Israel debate had started, I would have had a very hard time recalling who the president of Egypt was, but he called Sisi the president of Mexico, which I, I literally paused the video and I said, oh my God, he, he, just, he just said that. That is not going to go over for him very well politically. And yes, the political opportunists have already said, oh, well, oh, that explains why the Mexican border is not closed, blah, 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 because he thinks that Sisi is the president of Mexico. He's been talking to the wrong guy this whole time, blah, blah, blah. You know, the people have already jumped on top of this. Anyone who doesn't like Joe Biden, who wants to set the narrative against his border policy and his policy with Israel, has already jumped on this. And I didn't. I couldn't say that I knew this was going to be the exact talking point, but I knew it was going to be something that was honed in on as a symbol of his incompetence. Uh, sorry, his mental state being less than stellar. You know, I think it's the most nice and political way that I can put it. And it it made me cringe, and that's when I really started wondering what is what is going on with the part of the populace that can truthfully, honestly, deep down in their hearts say that Joe Biden is a competent president. He is a person that they are willing to put back into that office. Devoid of whether or not you don't want Trump to get in there, which he, hey, I understand that perspective, and I understand, I have people in my life that are very, very anti-Trump, and they are saying anybody but Trump, and since Biden is the other option, sure. But my, my questions really... Are you going to put somebody who's definitely incapable, who's definitely made plenty of gaffes, and then in an attempt to clear himself, to put his narrative out there, can't even get that 100% right? It's not like this has huge, deep foreign policy implications. It's not like this is something that he should get 100% right. I'm not trying to imply that. There are going to be gaffes, especially when you open it up to questions. There are going to be issues. But at the end of the day, when you're trying to set your narrative, you better be on top of it. And if you don't do it right, this is exactly the criticism that you are going to get. So let's jump to the first paragraph from this article. It's actually more like the first two. Quote, CNC legal analyst Ellie Hong said President Biden contradicted special counsel Robert Hur's report on his possession of classified documents. The president gave 
a hastily organized speech and press conference from the White House Thursday night during which he took questions from reporters regarding Hur's report on Biden's handling of classified documents. Those records included classified documents about military and foreign policy in Afghanistan, among other records, blah, 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 blah. No offense, Fox News. Um, I've not necessarily explained all that. I also don't think it's that in, important. I'm going to be honest with you. The classified document stuff, in my opinion, is in general with Trump, with Hillary, with Joe Biden. I think that they are all stupid. Uh, I understand why they are in place. I know that you shouldn't be able to take home classified documents because then some either because you are possibly incompetent uh, and you could leak them to somebody, possibly because somebody could just break into your residence and get them. They could hack your emails and get them. They could just walk into Mar-a-Lago and get them. Or because if that rule is not in place, it makes it easier for people who are truly malicious actors who want to give that information away to other countries for money. I understand why all of those document cases are out there, they or these laws around it, at least, and classified documents are important to some degree. I also think that we keep too much information classified in general, and having classified information, for some cases, not all cases, would actually, uh, the power that they would have, the power that those classified documents would have, would actually be less so if they were simply declassified. It's only because the American government decides to keep certain information quiet and under wraps and then other foreign agencies get them that that can actually cause an issue because it's not necessarily that that information has to be 100% classified. It's just kind of some inner workings that maybe the U.S. government doesn't want out there. And it doesn't necessarily have to be classified for actual national security reasons. And then when another nation gets it, that is when it becomes a true issue. And you could just say, okay, hey, we're going we're gonna to declassify this. We don't want any other government, any other agency, any black operative, uh, black network of operatives, like um, these you know hacker groups that are working on the, the black market, that kind of thing. Uh, we can take away their leverage if we just declassify this and put it out there ourselves. So there, there are lots of different layers to this, no doubt. But overall, I say I don't really care because if Hillary gets away with it, Biden gets away with it, and Trump's not getting away with it, um, it's just something that is used as a political tool nowadays. I think the rule itself is sacred. The political game that everybody's trying to play in, you know, whether it be media, whether it be on Washington uh, Hill or the, sorry, the Capitol Hill, whether it be in the Senate, the House, uh, the people in the White House, all these different media people trying to say, oh, no, these, these are different cases. Uh, this is why it's important here, but not important here, so on and so forth. I think it's a dumb game. Honestly, I'm over it. Let's get past it. Let's move on. Um, we're hey, we can say at this point we're we're gonna give everybody up to this point a pass. Sure, let's give everybody from this point a pass, and then let's 100% clamp down on it, or treat everybody exactly the same way and clamp down on it really hard. But to pretend as though there's a consistent standard is childish or naive, in my opinion. But that's beyond the point. Uh, I want to read something else here from the legal counsel. Quote, quote, that's what blew my mind about Joe Biden's statement, Hong said. Two major things he just outright contradicts or is contradicted by. However, you look at this report. These two things he said are completely opposite of what Robert Hur found. Robert Hur is the special counsel. Quote, who you believe is, a, I guess, up to the individual consumer. Joe Biden says, I did not act willfully 
That means voluntarily, intentionally, Hong said. And the second sentence of the summary says President Biden willfully retained classified materials. So this is just getting worse and worse for him. He's trying to set the narrative and not even CNN. And whether or not you like CNN, whether or not you think CNN is objective, they have their lean. I personally believe that they have their lean, just like I know Fox News has their lean. If not even CNN analysts who they're not going to be 100% in his camp. They're not an MSNBC. But there's no doubt that they have a certain lean. And even they come out and say, no, no, no. He, he's quite literally contradicting what the special counsel said. That is issue number one. So not only, see, the thing is, if you're trying to set a very specific narrative and you get out there and you're kind of telling like half truths or you're, you're kind of manipulating the things that um, were said, like if, if you were to say, uh, yes, I, I acknowledge my willful acts in this moment, but the prosecutor said that they wouldn't prosecute me anyway, this absolves me of my crime, so on and so forth, that Okay, great. So you're relaying some sort of truth because he did say that he would not actually prosecute. But that's also excluding why he wouldn't prosecute, which is uh, I'm old, I'm senile, I'm obviously not fit for, he doesn't actually say that he's not fit uh, for the presidency, but the implications could be made from there. But that's me putting my bias in there. So her actually comes out and says, uh, well, no, you know, Biden obviously has some memory problems and he's a sympathetic old man. We don't think we could actually get it through the court. So that's why we're not going to charge him. So it's not necessarily that he hasn't done something wrong that could be charged. It's that they don't think they can get the conviction. And just like with a lot, a lot of different G uh, DOJ kind of cases, if they don't think they can get the conviction, then they are probably going to back off. They want a high success rate. They don't want to bring things that are frivolous. They don't want to necessarily waste the taxpayer dollars. Um, and also they want to keep their record nice so they can move up in the professional world. There's no doubt about that either. So if you, he's obviously saying two different things. If you do it in that case where you kind of exclude some of the truth, that's one thing. But even CNN saying, no, no, you're not just excluding the truth. You're quite literally contradicting what the special counsel is saying. And then there's the other aspect of it, which is he's trying to set the narrative and he doesn't admit that her is out here saying, okay, hey, um, yeah, no, this guy is really mentally incompetent, uh, that he has some memory issues, and Joe Biden tries to push back against this multiple times. And this is where the second article from Fox News comes out. Fox News has one coming from a previous, actually, I'll just read you the headline. Obama's White House physician says special counsel report proves Biden has serious issues worse by the day. And you may be thinking, well, hold on, Alex, you just kind of you just kind of went through what some of the things about the report were saying about Joe Biden. Uh, and yes, I did. But this is from a gentleman who was on the inside actually seeing Joe Biden on a, not a normal basis. He, he was a physician. And I'm not saying you see him in a, the capacity of a physician, but he was most definitely there in the building interacting with him when he would come through things of that nature. And I want to read you the first quote once again, just so you have an idea of where this article is coming from, and then we can work from there. Quote, Texas GOP Rep. Ronnie Jackson, a former White House physician, said special counsel Robert Hur's report validates what he and many have known for years. President Biden has, quote, serious issues. Her, who had been tasked with investigating Biden's mishandling of classified documents, described the president in a report this week as apparently like a sympathetic, well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Um, yeah, well, we've already described that one. Uh, I want to go to another quote here 
which also comes from Jackson. Quote, he's cognitively unfit to be our commander-in-chief, and is that's going to be a problem for us, Jackson said. It's a real national security issue. I mean, it's always been a national security issue, but it's a national security issue that just gets worse by the day. And you may be thinking, oh, what do you mean it's a national security issue beforehand and now it's just getting worse? As the president, yes, having a, a bad memory can uh, lead to slip-ups, can lead you to asking your aides for information in front of uh, political opponents that you may not want out there. And that that is a pretty far-flung hypothetical, so you can dismiss that one if you want. But obviously it played some role. Yeah, okay, obviously obviously played some role. There was something that could be attributed to being mentally unfit to keeping class the classified documents, not being fully aware of everything that was going on, being part of his memory issues in the past, what it would have been nearly eight years ago at this point, seven, technically, seven years when they were transitioning and when some of the documents came home with him. Uh, maybe he forgot that they were down there in his basement after a while and then he remembered every like there there are other implications that come from this issue of hey our one of the main political figures in the United States, the vice president, and now the president has had some mental hardships, some memory issues as he's gotten older. And to be clear, I'm not trying to say that, oh, you you can't have mental issues, mental problems. I don't think if you're misconstruing it that way, you're just being disingenuous. I don't think anybody could take it that way. And the point isn't that, okay, memory issues are oh, something that are not acceptable. It's when you are the leader of the free world, that is when memory issues happen. My, I've had family members who, uh, this was during COVID, who had some memory issues. Not not as bad, or I take that back. I didn't see every single aspect of it because I wasn't in the house all the time. But there were memory issues, and it can get very frustrating when you know conversations come back up again. They forget certain information you told them last time, or they even forget things that happened a year ago, things of that nature. There's no doubt that that's annoying, but it doesn't implicate serious national security issues. If you are asking what was happening, and, and this is a hypothetical, I'm not saying Joe Biden did this, if you were asking your aides what happened in Afghanistan two or three years ago, then they have to re-explain everything to you so that you can make a current decision. That means, one, you don't remember the actual acts, you don't remember what you did, but also that means you probably don't understand the connecting threads between what's happening right this moment and how it may have percolated, how it may have happened, been a result of some of the policy decisions you made in the past. So you don't have a coherent view of the events that have happened, why certain things are interconnected, because you can't remember those specific events, but also you can't remember the connecting threads. And that is extremely, extremely important. That's like going to a commander at the end, well, within the last like two months of, of Vietnam, and saying, hey, have we reached our strategic objective? And he says, oh, what was our strategic objective? And it's not because, oh, well, we were kind of cloudy, we didn't actually have one, but at least the one we pretend to have at the beginning, he just literally can't remember it. So you can't make an informed decision on whether or not we're ready to pull out because whether or not we've hit that objective that we said at the beginning because you can't remember the objective. You can't remember why certain things were done. You can't remember why you bombed this particular town. Did it actually aid towards that strategic objective? Was there some underlying thing that also played into it if you can't remember all the key facts? It is extremely important to have a coherent 
person at the top of the government so we can have a coherent government moving forward. We can have coherent policy. And you don't just get flip-flapped around by polls. You're like, oh, okay, what do the people want now? Rather than remembering, oh, no, actually, I opposed this in the past for this specific reason. I had this conversation with this person, and I'm sure he has lots of different aides who track all this sort of stuff. But at the end of the day... That is still going to lead to information being outside of him and decisions being made outside of him and people's biases and opinions being able to filter their way in there when it should be him making the decisions at the end of the day. Yes, just like everybody argues with Donald Trump, you put smart people around you to help you with those decisions, but you have to be the end all be all. And maybe this is the, you know, the cognitive test that people have been talking about, um, I don't think, just like there are qualifiers to be above 35, why do you think you have to be above 35 to be a president? I would even argue you have to be a little bit older than that now, but that's because there are certain responsibilities that you've probably, or milestones you've probably hit by the time you're 35 to have a better understanding of the world that we live in, and some people probably shouldn't be running at 35, they may need to wait until they're, they're 40, but my point being that there are certain things, there are certain places that you need to be in order to get into the presidency in the first place. Maybe that should also work on the high end, that there's a basic mental competency test, because guess what? You are running the greatest nation, at least the most financially sound per capita nation throughout the entire world. So maybe that should be a part of this game. But that's enough on that one. I normally would go a little bit longer, but I do want to talk about a very specific article today that comes from Truthout. And the headline reads, Conservative Activist Lawsuit Threatened Grant Program for Black Women. So the Supreme Court, uh, a few months ago, or I guess, wow, it was probably over four months ago at this point, was uh, striking down the affirmative action provisions at some of these colleges. And from there, the conservative movement, I mean, they've been working on this for quite some time, actually, especially now that the court has some more originalists on it, even including Katanji Brown-Jackson, apparently, which is an interesting one when you heard some of the arguments coming from her about the Colorado debate, but the, about getting Trump off the ballot, but that's beyond the point. My point being, there are a few different more... Uh, traditionalists, originalists, uh, textualists on the court nowadays. And the conservative legal movement has been taking this opportunity to bring up challenges left, right, and center. That's why you saw the affirmative action case came up, come up when it did. And now you're seeing other groups trying to push back against anything that is obviously biased towards uh, underserved minority groups, communities, things like that, because at the end of the day, they argue that it actually is using the mechanisms that these companies have in order to benefit one race or another, which could be considered racist. And I think it's a it's a pretty interesting argument for sure. I, I think at the end of the day, which is it's very interesting how this conversation always plays out, which is conservatives say, hey, we're not a racist country. We shouldn't have any uh, racist policies. At, and then the people on the left hand side say, no, we you know, we have a racist history. There are people that are underserved and we need to serve them more now in order to counteract that previous racism, which I would argue actually leads to more racism. But all of this has been enshrined in law in that you cannot discriminate against somebody based on their sex, their race, natural characteristics, even gender identity is being thrown in there now. So when there's a group that is actually using 
uh, funds and allowing different people to apply for grants. It's a, ca- a capital investment firm, a capital venture firm. When they use certain grants in order to give money to a specific segment of the population, of course, with this movement against the affirmative action and all these different uh, anti-racist policies, and I'm putting that in air quotes, anti-racist policies that are specifically targeted towards people who have been underserved in the past because of racism and saying that people who were a part of the oppressor class, they can't actually get any of this money, even though it's claimed as anti-racism. Sure, it's anti-racism against the original racism, but it is still a new type of racism just in the opposite direction. That's besides the point. Uh, Let me read the first two paragraphs, and then I have a very specific one I want to read for you, and then some other insights and highlights Uh, that I did a little bit outside of this article. Quote, the same conservative activists that led the legal push behind last summer's Supreme Court takedown of the race-based college admissions has set his sights on the corporate sector, now challenging the legality of a grant intended to support black businesswomen ventures. Edward Blum's American Alliance for Equal Rights filed a complaint against venture capital firm Fearless Fund in early August, accusing the black women-funded group of discriminating against other races and offering a grant program solely to black businesswomen. So, black businesswomen, excuse me. Uh, it's not just one woman. There are multiple women here. But the point being, okay, hey, this is a the the qualifying things for this grant are you have to be a entrepreneur making a certain amount of money, a certain amount of revenue, at least that's preferred, and you are a black businesswoman. Okay, so what what's necessarily the issue with this one? What the authors of this article are going to argue, hey, it's there's not anything wrong with this. The, this group can give money to this underserved community. And what the conservative activists or the legal activists are going to say is you can't discriminate against people based on characteristics like their race. And that's why you can't exclude white women or uh, Asian women. And I would say there are probably some activists who don't care necessarily about the race stuff as much and would say, why is it only for women? That's sexist. It's against males. And this is why I think this mentality is actually really freaking stupid because at the end of the day, there should be programs that are meant to give money to specific things. If you have a all women's group, if you have an all women's group that wants to help serve women in a community and they only give out grants to women, well, hey, that's, uh, that's sexist. That's actually discriminating based on a characteristic that people can't change if you don't give any of the money to men. And then in this case, this is a woman, black woman group that is run, and let's be clear, the reason that they always go after the race aspect because this is a hotly contentious topic, especially nowadays in America. If you have a group solely run by black women and they want to give their funds that they have earned themselves, created through different projects, have gotten through small dollar donors, then yes, you should be able to just give money to a black woman. You should be able to just give that grant to that specific group that you are advocating for because that is your whole point. And this is where I think I disagree a lot with the activists, uh, which is at the end of the day, no, we do not need to make everything a hundred percent so that it can only, it has to serve everybody. There are specific groups that want to work in certain situations. There are probably alcoholic anonymous groups that want to deal more with violent men than they want to deal with violent women. Maybe because violent men or men that are violent are normally more violent. And what I mean by that 
is they can cause more harm than women. Or, you know, on average, there are more violent men than there are violent women, even in the drunkard community. So you can see how specific advocacy groups can focus in on certain things. Just like I think in the free market system, in the devoid of the government getting involved, if there is a company that wants to say, hey, we're not going to let a certain sex in here. It's a men's only club. Uh, we're not going to let a certain race in here. It's a blah, blah, blah club. Then yeah, let them have that. A hundred percent. That is their freedom to discriminate against who they want to associate with. But I'm telling you, if a bar, a cigar bar opens up across the male only one and allows men and women, and then they get more business because they're applying, they're appealing to more people, Great. And then the people that do want to go to the male only one, they'll go to the male only one. But maybe there's a larger segment in the, of the population that wants to go to a both sexes cigar bar. Maybe a competitor to that other businessman who has a policy against allowing a certain race into his company, they open up and they're they let every single race in there. And then guess what? They'll make more money because they're appealing to more people. We, that should be a legitimate option of yours in the private economy. And the government coming in and saying, no, that is not allowed, is a, a violation of your right of association. You can associate with whoever you wish to. And that's where I think I come down a little bit different. I've had this opinion before. So then you're probably like, well, Alex, okay, then why why did you bring up this story specifically? Because you, you sound, or at least why did you sound a little hostile at first to the truth out authors? Because... You made it sound like you actually just there. You agree with this this company being able to spread its funds how it wishes among its certain demographics. And yeah, when I was reading through this, I was like, actually, yeah, I kind of agree with that. I think the government shouldn't necessarily be involved in that. I wanted to understand a little bit more. I was like, why is this so important? Why is this something that a legal activist actually wants to bring up in front of the Supreme Court, besides just to really take advantage of this equity issue? Because if it was a person who genuinely is... Uh, I would say a traditionalist or even just a conservative in nature, they probably say, yeah, no, we don't want the government to be more involved in the lives of people at all. So that even includes judicial demands. Um, and then I went and looked up, and this is outside the article, I went and looked up Fearless Fund's uh, reports on their taxes because I, I was really interested. Uh, I went through their revenues and everything like that. Not really important. Uh, they do a small amount of money, and I don't know how they're going to cover all these grants, but that's besides the point. And then I went a little bit deeper into their actual tax return because I wanted to see, okay, where is this money coming from? And a little bit north of almost all their revenue over the last year, which is somewhere around 330000 uh, around a little north of 300,000 of that has come from government grants. And then it clicked in my head. This is exactly why this is important because government grants should not be used in order to give to only a specific group because that is the government giving our taxpayer dollars do something that does not include everybody. That's also why I think the affirmative action argument is very strong in state-funded institutions. If you're a private institution, you can do whatever you want, but a state-funded institution, the government should not be allowed, or the money given directly from the government should not be allowed to discriminate based on race, sexuality, anything like that, because we do not want disparate standards within our legal system and within the government when it comes to having a preference to one group or the other, therefore leading to 
disparate in, uh, impacts among them. We do not want laws that are obviously racist against black people or white people because we want to preserve their natural rights as human beings. But in a free market society, you have no, in a free market world without government, or sorry, I'll even go even further. We're going to use the Lockean terms. In Lockean terms of natural rights, in a natural rights world with no government there, you don't have to associate with someone that's different with you. You have the right not to. But then when we put a government structure in place, when we put something in there that is meant to protect everybody's rights against uh, foreign governments, the government itself, people that could get into power and want to push their political agenda, and other members of that society, the government cannot have a preference towards one race or the other because then it will most likely or actually will violate the rights of the other people in that society. So when it comes to a government, yes, the government cannot discriminate and have laws and fund things that are obviously going to aid one group rather than another and are going to exclude them. But in a private marketplace, if this fearless fund was all small dollar donors, I'd be right there. Yes, sisters. Let's go. 100%. I agree with everything you're doing here. If you want to serve this community, great. But no, you were taking, and it's not like, okay, if it was like maybe $20,000 in grants, I could see an argument. Oh yeah, that we actually sequester these funds off. They don't get used in any of these grants that go out. We just do it to host events or something like that. And maybe there could be an argument there. But no, no, no. It is basically all of their actual revenue that they're getting here. It is more, it is more than 85%. Uh, it's actually, it's more than 90% of their income comes from government grants. So to pretend as though that it is okay for them to use that money in a very specific way that only is allowed to go to people of one race is not something that's okay because it's basically the government endorsing it. And I, yes, I understand there are lots of implications to that because then there are probably lots of companies that take government money that need to... Uh, rearrange the way that they do things and how they do grant processes. And like I said, if it is a smaller percentage of your income, I, I could see an argument there. It'd be really hard to find the exact details, like, oh, it doesn't have to be less than 10%. But my point being, no, this is basically just a, a government-funded uh, group, and then this group is, you know, being racist. They're saying that only a certain p amount or a certain type of person is allowed to get our product. And it's not even just like, oh, a person with a college degree who you can earn a college degree if you want. No, it's just based on immutable characteristics. You have to be black and a woman. And that's where I find this one outrageous. So, sorry, I went a really long, really, really long time on that one. And there was another quote that I really wanted to pull out, but I think I got my point across. And that quote I wanted to pull out was before I actually went and researched the tax returns, which I think is even more important to talk about in this context, because guess what? The truth out authors don't mention that even once. They don't mention that it is almost solely government funded, or at least all of the money that they're reporting in their profits are coming from grants from the government. So uh, yeah, go look on ProPublica. It will have all of their information there. You can go into the tax returns and then go to section 81H. That will be a summary of all the revenues. And then I believe in that section, it will be um, 1E, oh, A, B, C, D, E, it, it may actually be 1D, where they disclose how much comes from uh, government grants. But once again, go look at it. It is interesting. And honestly, I used to think, okay, this would take a long time to get this sort of information. It took me five minutes. 
It took me five minutes to find this information. Just do this extra research yourself when you see things like this because it is very illuminating. I had a very different point of view or at least a very bland point of view that I've had for a long time and it got much more deep and intricate the second I did a little bit more research and it just proves that putting in this time, this effort is going to be good for you when you're doing this sort of thing and you're trying to evaluate the perspectives or all the different news that is being thrown at your face. But that's enough on all of that. We're already going pretty darn long, so I'm going to jump to our daily delight. And the headline reads, Big Cats Try Whipped Cream Treat and Their Responses Are Too Cute. Um, I'm not going to give a quote from this one, but I'll, I'll tell you now. There are about 11 different species of big, nine different species of big cats in this one particular zoo, and the zookeeper gives them a special type of whipped cream that doesn't actually have dairy, so it won't hurt their system. There's some cute photos and videos. It's a, it's a TikTok video. So if you want to see that, go to the link in the description below that like and subscribe button. That's where you can find it with all the other links to today's articles as well. And also down there, you can find the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, as well as Podvine, and the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. So with all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.